Welcome back to the Canary and a Coal Mine podcast. I'm joined by Senator Phil Fortunato, who is running for governor of Washington State. Senator Fortunato, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. So you're in a unique position because you're an elected official who is dealing with the corona crisis right now in a unique position to say what's being done right, what's being done wrong. So forget what's happened so far. We can't undo the past. You get elected, you're in office tomorrow. How do you fix what's happening right now? Do you have a plan for business? Do you have a plan for schools? What's your way out of this? Well, uh, if we say, if you were governor right now, what would you be doing? You know, and when this thing started, you know, I said, you know, nobody knew what to do. So this whole thing came down, nobody knew what to do. You know, our, our caucus drafted what I call the kumbaya letter. You know, this is, you know, we all got to get along, work through this crisis and all this stuff. And I was fighting at that time, I said, the economic impact is going to be dramatic. And we need to be calling for a special session like right now. We need to be looking at this. We need to be cutting the budget right now, you know. And uh, so we agreed with the two-week shutdown and all that stuff. But, and I said, but as soon as Inslee said, um, you, know, what's, um, you know, what's relevant, what's not relevant, and you know, what's essential and what's non-essential, and then he starts coming out with this micromanaging on how you're gonna do things. I said, that's where we part the company. You know, I go, you know, we've already demonstrated early on by people going to Costco and Fred Meyer and things like that, that you can't actually do retail shopping and not pass mass infections. You don't hear anybody say, oh, you know, I went to, you know, Costco, people went to this Costco and 4,000 people got infected. You don't hear that. And you don't hear that because I think they're doing a great job. You go there, they're sterilizing the carts, they got a protocol in place. So why can't other businesses do the exact same thing? You know, and, and when he started doing this essential, non-essential, Am I essential? Are you essential? I mean, you know, why am I out of business and you can work? Why can be? I'm a nursery and I'm, I'm shut down because I'm not essential. But people could go to Fred Meyer and Costco and buy nursery stock. You know, is that fair? And then they start dividing off essential and non-essential into Costco. Why the heck are you doing that? We are a sales tax driven state. And this, we had a presentation from the, uh, uh, state economist, and I put it on my Senator Phil Fortunato dot uh, com webpage. It's a legislative thing, but what I did was post the uh, his entire slideshow that he gave us on there, so people could see what the economic impact is. So, while uh, but I think our side, our side is, and, and I, I'm still fighting for a special session. And I had a press conference a week or so ago, and I said, if the governor's not going to call a special session. The, the legislature should call itself into special session, which has never been done before. Um, but if the legislature does it, there's actually parameters. Can't go outside. You know, you have to figure out what you're going to talk about. That's the only thing you can talk about. You can't go outside the box. If the governor calls a special session, he could say, I'm going to call a special session to deal with this corona stuff and get people back to work. And the legislature can ignore that and just do whatever the heck they want. And so our side is afraid that they're going to introduce an income tax. I go, of course they're going to introduce an income tax. I go, all of this stuff that they are doing is setting us up to have such a massive economic uh, a hole in our budget that you, know, you can't help but have the feeling that some of this is being done for political purposes to set us up for an income tax. And I said, I want them to be doing that now, before November. 
show their cards now. Otherwise, in January, they're going to come back and say the only solution is an income tax. So what's, and, the, um, what's to stop the legislator from calling that special session then? You need a two-thirds vote, and then they have to agree beforehand on what they're doing. So my caucus is my caucus, uh, you know, I had, it was myself, Senator Patton, and Senator Erickson. And then on the, Democrat, on the uh, House side, it was uh, Jesse Young and Vicki Kraft uh, had a press conference where we called for our uh, uh, legislators to get on board and call for a special session. So, uh, and, the, and the object is, it, we need to get back to work there. We need to be running by what the governor is doing and have legislative oversight. I said, what ticks me off is, I'm a sitting senator. And I am reduced to writing letters to Santa Claus. And I get the same response I get from Santa Claus. Silence. Nothing. Right? I don't even get any presents. And, and, but that's all I'm done. I mean, every day in the legislature, we're getting sign on to this email to, you know, open up gun store, sign on to this email to open up fishing, sign on to this email or this uh, letter. Right? Everybody's sending all these letters and governor's not throwing them in the trash or doing whatever. So now I want you to think about this. I'm an adult. I don't want to get this virus. I am going to go to a place, and if they have a protocol in place that I feel reasonably confident that that's a safety protocol, I'm going to go shop there. I go to Costco. I, I, I see what they're doing. Makes sense to me. And, and I go shop there. I go to another place. If they don't have a safety protocol in place that I think is reasonably imprudent, I'm not going to shop there. Now, the governor shouldn't be calling these shots. The governor should be saying, you a business, you have to have a protocol in place, run it by the Department of Health, get the nod, and go back to work. You know? I mean, if I got six or eight people in my office, and we, this is what we're going to do, have that safety protocol in place, go back to work. There is no reason that you can't sell a car, for goodness sakes. Now you've got these idiotic rules on why, you, you know, you can only sell a car if it's a guy's primary vehicle and he needs it to get to work. And what? What the heck is this about? I go, you know what? It, now, we changed the rules to allow real estate to sell houses early on. Well, if you could sell a house, why can't you sell a car? And this, it's the inconsistency that's the issue. So our side is looking at the polls, for example, the LA poll and this and that. You know, most people approve what the governor's doing. I said, yeah, but you're not asking the right question. Do you approve with the governor allowing, you know, Costco to sell stuff, but not the mom and pop store to sell stuff? Do you agree with Costco not allowing, uh, you know, uh, allowing the sale of uh, houses, but not allowing the sale of cars? You know, what's the difference there? I mean, I could come up with a protocol to sell a car, you know, do most of the negotiation across the uh, internet and all that stuff. The guy comes in, sits at the other end of the table. You know, I mean, I'm doing that for service. Brought my car into service. The exact same place, right? They got a little line set up. You know, they pass things back and forth. They're, you know, they're, they're, they have a protocol in place. Well, why can't I do that exact same thing selling a car? I mean, the impact on this ec economy is going to be like a billion dollars a week. Week. When they go back in January, you're going to have something like a 25% hole in the budget. You know, now we can't even get them to cut, cut a couple of hundred million dollars. I mean, that, it, he did veto some stuff. I don't know, three hundred. He vetoed, he vetoed stuff for three years from now. He didn't veto stuff that's happening yeah. this year. 
And if well, you look at the state budget, and you know it way better than I do, there's plenty of places they could be cutting right now. But instead, the governor, out of his $52 billion budget, I believe it is, decides that he's going to put aside $5 million only, which works out to about $8 per business, to assist businesses through this in $10,000 grants. I see no logic or reason behind any of that. So what can be actively done? I mean, here's something, for example, my business, I run an event rental company. Obviously, I am pretty much shut down and have no customers because there's no events, but I can do little backyard things like bounce houses to keep kids entertained. I came up with a protocol. I'm doing my protocol and people who trust me are hiring and that's how it's going to go. Otherwise, I wouldn't have customers. They're not going to frequent my business. But what is really to stop me from opening my business? The governor cannot enforce these mandates he's putting on everybody. So what's to stop me from going ahead and doing that? Well, and, and you bring up the other point, the other part of the point. Uh, and if you're willing, I have a law firm that's just looking for somebody to file a lawsuit on the inconsistency. I mean, people are constantly asking, is this constitutional? I go, well, I mean, we're not stupid. That was the first question we asked. And, you know, we got uh, really good uh, uh, guru lawyers, and they looked at it and they said, well, yeah, this is constitutional. This requires legislative oversight. This doesn't. You could do this under the emergency powers thing. And, um, uh, you know, but that's not the issue. The issue is the inconsistency. And the other part of the, uh, is what you just said, the enforcement side. Where in the hell in state law or the Emergency Powers Act does it say they could come with a gun and take Harry Hoffman's business license away? Where's that? They could fine every $5,000 for not uh, going on with his, uh, doing his business in violation of his decree. Where is that in state law? I mean, I had a car dealership. I'm trying to get this guy to, to actually, uh, uh, you know, join in in this lawsuit. But, um, uh, uh, you know, he sold the car. The Department of Revenue came down on him and said, you need to stop selling cars because we're going to fine you $5,000 to take your business license away. What? Where the heck? And this is my problem. And, uh, you know, inconsistency and then, you know, as you point out, the enforcement are the two, the two constitutional issues uh, that we face. And, uh, you know, some of the churches and synagogues are just going, what, is your synagogue shut down? Are they doing stuff? Or what We're completely doing? shut down because the last thing we want is we don't want like what people are saying in New York. Like, I don't know if you saw what happened with the mayor of New York today, where he specifically went after the Jewish community, which was a whole nother thing and insane. But the last thing we want is them to be saying, oh, look, the Jews are operating. We're not. No, we're conforming to the rules. We're conforming to the guidelines. But the problem we're having is, is that what if this becomes more political and other states are opening and then we're not allowed to open right. Washington state. So when does it become now you're infringing on religious liberties? I yeah. think you already, they already are. Oh, I, th I, th I think so too. I mean, they, but see, they can make the argument on a health, health thing. Okay. So they can make that argument, close people in a closed area, blah, blah, blah. They can make that argument. Let's, but some churches, I don't know if you saw in other states, they were doing religious services like, like a driver, right? Everybody's in the parking lot in their car. And they and some uh, uh, governor sent the state police out there to take down their, their license plate numbers. And, what? What the heck is that about? I mean, so you should be able to maybe have your service outside. You know, maybe just space people apart. Maybe, you know, do something. But I think the churches are afraid of, the, you know, just exactly what you said. The churches are afraid that, 
if we do this and then something happens, you know, that's going to be bad for us. So we're just going to shut down until, until some government official tells me it's okay. Then it'll be his fault. Especially with the insurance stuff with the, you know, is the synagogue going to be held liable if somebody gets it? I mean, we had somebody who was a grocery store worker who owned their own grocery store who passed away in our synagogue. Nobody else, you know, got it from that contact because before we closed, we had put in place, sit this far apart, don't shake hands. Here's the sanitary stations we put in to sanitize your hands and everything. We did all that. The little kids in the synagogue drew signs everywhere that said, wash your hands, don't shake hands, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And the week before we closed, we were running that way. So yeah. what bothers me is that now we're not allowed to, even though we're following all the guidelines. That seems completely arbitrary, especially when there's no end date. So, well, yeah, moving off this topic for a little bit and getting a little bit more into your campaign and the other things you're going through, a lot of parents are talking to me right now about their problems with the public schools. They're very concerned about this sex ed bill that just passed. They're concerned if their kids are ever going back to school. What's your position on what's going on with the public schools right now? What would you do as governor that would be different from that? Well, you know, um, uh, one of the advantages, you know, of being in a, in a particular caucus is everybody has different areas of expertise, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, just last night, uh, we had a uh, conference call. Senator Hawkins put out a, uh, uh, what is going to become, we're, we're reviewing it as a caucus, put out a caucus position on what to do with education and what we should be doing. One of the things is, for example, start the school year early. Start it in August instead of September. You know, shorten up the uh, summer vacation. Uh, you know, have the same number of days, but space it out and shorten up the summer vacation like uh, other states or other uh, uh, countries are doing. And so, um, actually, uh, you know, he, it, it was very well thought out. And uh, him, Senator uh, uh, Wagoner, and uh, I think Senator Braun were involved in it. I mean, these are smart people put there. They really, really looked at it and did a great job. And, but that's the advantage of, you know, when you talk about the connection between your campaign and, uh, you know, being governor, I know people. I know people that are smart people. I know people that, uh, you know, somebody said to me, what's the first thing that you're going to do? And if you were sworn in as governor, what's the first thing you're going to do? And I said, first thing I'm going to do is sign that oath of office and fire the secretary of transportation. <laughs> Right. And, and I mean, here's a guy, but I know that because we're involved in transportation. We're, I've, I've seen how he behaves. I've seen how some of these, these uh, agency heads and things like that, whether I agree or disagree with the way they're running. But here you have a secretary of transportation that goes to a national conference. And at that national conference, he says, we just have to live with congestion. There's nothing we can do about it. And if we build more roads, people, more people are going to drive. Right? And I can't remember what the heck they call that. They, 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 they get a turn for that. And I go, what? And, you know, are you kidding me? And so I wrote him a letter and I said, you know what? If you, Here's state law. And one of the things that your agency has to do is relieve congestion. Now, if you can't do it, get the hell out of the way and let somebody else who can. And, but, you know, knowing how the system works, knowing how, where the holes are, for example, and, you know, uh, we talk about what you're going to do with the budget. I haven't heard anybody say, you know, state employees are supposed to get a 3% a raise in July, right? Now, how is that going to look? I go, we need to have a special session to stop that raise, not only stop that raise, 
well, we need to be doing a 5% cut across the board, including me, you know? And, um, you know, uh, being elected, uh, one of the things they, uh, they, they uh, you know, they say is, oh, we ought to cut all legislators' pay. I said, well, the problem is not that legislators are getting paid too much. The problem is they're not getting paid enough because the average guy can't go to his boss and say, hey, boss, you know, I'm just a Joe Schmo, and maybe I'm, I'm working in construction, and I decide I want to run for office, and I go to my boss, and I say, hey, boss, I need four months off, five months off, or four months off one year, and three months off the next. I need to go all these special meetings, and I need to take time off to do this and time off to do that, you know, because I want to run for office. What's your boss going to say? Hey, if I don't need you for three months, I don't need you at all. <laughs> I right. mean, so unless you work for Boeing or Pack Cars, some big gigantic company that can, uh, uh, you know, gets an advantage from you being elected. You're a union member, you're a cop, you're a police op uh, a cop or a firefighter or a teacher, you know, you actually can't run for public office, you know, if you have a job because you can't feed your family on, on what you get paid. And um, so anyway. I had that problem when I ran for office. You know, I had two companies and I'm the janitor and I'm the president. And you know, the companies took a hit because I was busy running for office. People don't yeah. understand the kind of toll it takes on you, but here's something you may not know. I did a public disclosure request and I just got the results back today. Apparently, Chris Rakedahl, the superintendent of public instruction, had some people at public schools pitching your idea, the idea of starting school earlier to make up for the lost days. And they already shot it down. This idea was already pitched to them. So when you have somebody like Chris Rakedahl, who's stuck there at least for the short term until there's an election or something, how are you gonna be able to work with somebody like that who seems so immovable to the most practical ideas, who resisted the thousands of phone calls in terms of passing this ridiculous sex ed bill, the Department of Transportation, which seems committed to congestion pricing. Now they're discussing not even replacing the West Seattle Bridge. I mean, all this insanity that's coming out, how can you work with these people who seem to be so stuck in a rut in terms of their ideology and not willing to compromise or use common sense solutions? Well, you know, uh, uh, after the primary, obviously, I mean, if I, if I am the nominee after the primary, and I'm uh, hoping that that's the case, I'm hoping people are going to choose experience. And, um, but you simply make it clear, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, people don't realize, I said, you know, when you elect somebody, you're electing your chief negotiator. That's what you're doing. You're hiring somebody to spend your money and make your laws. Now, somebody said to me, you didn't pass a single bill this year. I go, as soon as I announced I was running for governor, I knew I wasn't gonna pass a single bill. But I didn't pass, I said, it's not true that I didn't pass a single bill. I actually got four bills passed. They just didn't have my name on it, <laughs> right? Because if they did have my name on it, they wouldn't have passed. And so you encourage other people, this is what we want to do and this and that and run around. So we did run some bills. We did get some legislation passed. But I mean, politically, that's just the way it is. Heck, they didn't even pass my bill to pick up the garbage on the side of the road. I mean, that's you know, hardly uh, political. But you need to be able to call these people in and you need to be able to say, what's important to you? You know, so let's say Chris Raytal gets reelected. I hope he doesn't. Uh, Mina Espinoza is excellent and would be a great superintendent of public instruction. Uh, but let's just say he gets reelected. And you call him in and you say, okay, what's important to you? 
You know, what do you want to accomplish this year? You know, what legislation, because remember the superintendent of public instruction can't uh, uh, run legislation, but they can author legislation. You have an uh, agency request bill or something. And you say, what's important to you? You know, okay, that's what's important to you. I could agree with this and there's no way in hell are you getting that, you know, the other two items, you know? So this is what's important to me. You are not getting what you want if I don't get what I want. And, and that's the power, but you're gonna have to, one, one of the, you know, when I tell my kids when you're negotiating, I said, you need to start from an unreasonable position, which is what the Democrats do. You know, in 2017, we went to extended session, extended session, extended, we were fighting over the budget. And when we had a presentation on our budget, I thought it was a great budget, right? And the question I had when it was all done, I said, wow, this is a great budget. What do you got to give up? <laughs> you don't have anything to give up. You started with your end game. You started where you wanted to be. Now, the Democrats, but on, on, uh, on the other hand, they started with $8 billion in more taxes. They go, oh, here's our budget. And we go, but you never even voted on the taxes. It's not part of your budget. You can't get it past the House. Oh, no, no, that's it. So they're starting from $8 billion in more taxes and more spending, and we're negotiating against something that they never passed. And, uh, and you know, uh, so you're going to have to compromise. Now, in the end, they, uh, uh, we, we settled on taxing the Internet and taxing bottled water, both of which I voted against, right? But that, that's what the Democrats got. I mean, they started with $8 billion and they got $350 million. Well, I mean, they got something. But in my mind, we lost. Gotcha. So, so Senator Fortunato, if people want to volunteer for your campaign or donate to your campaign or find out more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? So uh, our webpage is philforgov, P-H-I-L-F-O-R-G-O-V uh, dot org philforgov.org. There's a contribution page. There's my blueprint for Washington. This is the basic layout. Covers funding transportation, covers education funding, covers budgetary issues, uh, the homeless issue, which is a key in downtown Seattle. So the homeless issue in downtown Seattle is the key to winning this election. And um, if you look at the series of bills, I had a, a series of bills that I put together. And uh, one of the things I started off with was graffiti. And, and I actually saw in the Seattle Times, but Western Eden or whatever his name is, came out and goes, ah, oh, he wants to solve homelessness by, you know, with graffiti. And I go, graffiti is a sign of social decay. If you allow graffiti, it's like the broken window. You get the broken window, and next thing you know, the whole neighborhood goes down. I said, so it's not a solution. It's an indication of a social problem. And if you don't address that, and you don't take that seriously, your entire neighborhood is gonna to go to hell. So I said, we're not gonna put you in jail or fine you if you do this. We're gonna give you a scrub brush and you gotta scrub that crap off for 30 days. Now, the public, everybody agrees with that. And, uh, but then you go on to how are you gonna get these people off the street? So you got, when people say the homeless, it's actually not the homeless. There's like five different groups. I said, the first group you gotta take care of is the criminals. These guys are criminals and largely because they're drug and alcohol addicted. And you have the prosecutors talking about homeless crime like it's not serious crime. A homeless guy could go in and, and shoplift uh, 
uh, something, but if you go in and shop builds it, I'd be bailing you out, right? But the homeless guy gets a free pass. You know, so I had, uh, I said, we're going to take away the prosecutor's discretion. A prosecutor only gets one time to decide whether he's going to prosecute or not. After that, he must prosecute these people. You know, otherwise, uh, why would a cop go through the trouble of even arresting somebody when they know that the guy's going to be back out on the street before they even get done with the paperwork? So, got to incarcerate these people if they're criminals. They're criminals, you got to get them off the street. They're breaking into people's houses, they're breaking into their cars, they're threatening people on the sidewalk. The next group are the people that are homeless, that are drug and alcohol addicted, but they're not criminals. And I said, those people, you have the, the bill was called the Shelter Act. It said, Supreme Court said, you can't get these people off the street unless there's a place for them to go. Fine. We're going to give you a place to go. We're going to enclose an area. We're going to fence it in. We're going to give you a tent. We're going to give you a sleeping bag. We're going to have social services. We're going to have sanitation, showers and stuff. We're going to have a police presence. So uh, now, if you don't want to go there, you got to leave. Now, you can't be here. So if you need, you know, you want to go back to Kansas, here's a bus ticket. You go back to Kansas. I'm not taking taxpayer money and funding your continual addiction and alcohol. Now, if you want to make a commitment to treatment and stuff like that, hey, we'll work with you. You know, I mean, people are compassionate. People see this. They see these people. You know, and one of my problems with the homeless issue is the desensitization that you have. I said, if you're walking down the street and somebody trips and falls in front of you, there is a natural tendency to go and help that person. You've been down. Are you okay? You know, you know if they drop something, you help them pick up. There's a natural tendency to do that. So, however, if homeless guy trips and falls, people are going like, I don't want to touch that guy. He's got some kind of disease. Is he going to hurt me? Is he going to attack me? Is he going to, you know, so you have this desensitization that's not, that's just not good for society in general. So I'm willing to work with you, but you got to make a commitment that you got to help yourself. So the next group you have are people that are, I call them, uh, you know, just stuff happens. Guy's car breaks down, loses his job, he gets evicted, sleeping in his car, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with this guy. He's not a criminal. He's just sleeping in his car because, you know, just economic conditions. There's no housing available for him and all that stuff. And he just needs to get, you know, just some time to get his act together. I go, yeah, you know, there's this model of uh, uh, a housing model that says, you know, first six months, you're going to live here for $300 a month. That's your rent. Next six months, $600. Next six months, $900. Next six months, $1,200. After that, you got to get out. You got to make room for somebody else. We're willing to give you a hand up. We're willing to help you get your act together. We're willing to, you know, save some of that money, get your car fixed, you know, save up that, uh, that money so that you can actually move to, um, you know, a little more, a little more uh, uh, market rate housing and things like that. We're willing to help you but you've got to have a commitment to help yourself and without that that's why the homeless problem in seattle has grown so ridiculously is because they're constantly just funding homelessness they're not helping people and 675 million dollars in affordable housing and i said and so the other the other part of the spectrum is people need to own their own home they need to have ownership they need that. If you don't have people owning their own home, they are simply doomed to living in poverty for the rest of their life. 
So but I don't understand well, uh, if they if they own their own home, then you can't convince them that their landlord is evil, and then be able to tax them more, thinking that it just rolls over onto the landlord and not them. Yeah, no, I mean that's why people people that live in apartments think they don't pay taxes, and then they complain when they vote for a, some kind of tax increase for libraries or whatever, and then the rent goes up, and they're going, ah, the landlord, the evil landlord. Uh, but if you bring up the uh, the uh, eviction moratorium, this is disastrous. Okay, I don't know if people, the average person, understands the impact of this, but here's what is happening. Yeah, and again, we just had a uh, conference call on this. Landlords came in and were talking. They're looking for a $150 million bailout because the people that can pay the rent right now are not paying the rent right now. This, this eviction ban doesn't say that they don't owe, uh, owe the rent. So now, six months, three months, four months, whenever the heck that ban is lifted, you're going to owe $8,000 in, in rent. Well, how are you going to come up with $8,000? So not only are you going to be bailing out the uh, uh, landlord, you're going to be bailing out these people because they're going to be looking for some kind of write-off to, you know, uh, uh, get rid of this $8,000 debt. But Eric's still going to be paying his mortgage on his house. And nobody's going to waive $8,000 on your mortgage. I mean, it, they, uh, people don't realize I have a second company of this property management. And I've already had tenants cite this craziness in Seattle saying, oh, we're not paying our rent. Well, then what am I supposed to do? Because then I can't pay my bills. Right. Don't you think it would have been easier if they had proposed legislation that said, look, there's people in low-income problems. There's restaurants that have problems. What if we just give you a tax break if you take this much off their rent? There were other ideas we had where people pay first and last month of security deposits. Hey, you know what? We'll take those now. We won't worry yeah. about it for security deposits. There's different ways they could have yeah. done this, but instead they went right to the nuclear option, which is just going to put more people in the poorhouse. Well, and, and it creates that cascade effect. And it's just like they shut down restaurants and schools. You know what the effect is? Dairies are dumping millions of gallons of milk. Mm -hmm. Farmers are out there shooting calves because they can't sell their beef, you know? I mean, potato farmers are giving away uh, uh, seed potatoes because the warehouse won't fit any more potatoes. And uh, so you have this, this uh, effect all the way across, this cascade effect, and everybody's looking for some kind of assistance or bailout. And, you know, um, I said, you know what? I don't want a bailout. I don't, want a, I don't want a new government program. I don't want a bailout. I just want to go back to work. Just get, you know, you ever read Atlas Shrugged? Oh, sure. And, uh, yeah. My father and, paid me 50 uh, bucks Gold, to read it in high school. Uh, John Gold's yes. speech, <laughs> get the hell out of the way. Yeah. You know, that's all I want. I mean, I'm not looking for anything special. Just get out of my way. So we could be using, I said, my, my approach is we need to be looking at a, a massive deregulation. Of, uh, of state government to get out of the way so that these guys, you know, business can flourish and stuff like that. They're all worried about subsidizing them and all that stuff. I just give them a break on this regulatory stuff. You know, I said, if, if every state agency came into Ari Hoffman's business and went through everything, there's no way that you would be able to stay in business. Oh, you're out of compliance with this. The noise level is too high. The this, the that, all the stuff. You know, ergonomic things. You need to spend ten thousand dollars on a chair or something. You know, I mean, it goes on and on. And um, I said the regulatory cost of this uh, on small business is just 
astronomical. And it's amazing to me that uh, you know people are staying in business, uh, that anybody could stay in business. But I, I want to dovetail a little bit into, you know, I said, you know what the governor's plan for congestion relief is? Drive businesses out of the state, right? <laughs> Drive jobs out of the state. People will move out of the state, and that will in turn relieve congestion. I shouldn't even be laughing because it's so true. And by the way, I would be a plaintiff for the, they understand that small business owners have no money right now. You put me in touch with that law firm and I'll be the first one to step up and say, you represent me, I'll go all the way with you. I'm used yeah. to being a punching bag for the left in this city. I think you yeah. saw a bunch of that during my campaign. Well, Senator Fortunato, thank you so much for being with us. Wish you the best of luck in your campaign. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for the invitation and thanks for the uh, the gripe session. I guess it'll it'll be. So thanks, thanks very much. Best of luck. So remember, fillforgov.org.